Good morning, Christchurch. So um, Monday was a fantastic day uh, to take a walk, warmer temperatures. And so I decided to get out there and walk. And I decided to take a different route than normal. Normally, I walk around my neighborhood. But instead, I decided to walk up my hill out onto Route 1A, which is Boston Neck in the Saunderstown, Narragansett area. And it's a busy road, but I figured it was like President's Day, so, but I was wrong. It was super busy because I forgot URI still has classes. So there was URI students and, and delivery trucks and uh, there's a Dunkin' Donuts and a Walgreens and rocks and a fire station and, and traffic was pretty thick, right? Now, when I walk longer distance, I wear my Camino shoes. They're, they're, they're really just trail runners, but they're a little sturdier. Um, and because of the Camino, I had to buy them a half size big. So when I wear them, they're a little bit more plotty, but they keep my, uh, my toes um, from being destroyed. So anyway, I was walking at a pretty good clip, and I reached the intersection of Ferry Road and Boston Neck, and you can go down the road to the Bay Campus or up down another road, up to the tower, and either get on the highway or go to URI. And while I was waiting for the crosswalk button, I noticed that there was two lines of traffic sort of coming towards me. Now, one is actually going to go north, and one is waiting to turn left to go up to the highway or to URI. And it's full of URI students and an Amazon truck, and there was a, there was a, um, a, a mom with a bunch of kids. Like, I could, I could tell there was a lot of people there. And then over to this side, going south, there was a whole another line of people waiting to, for the light to change. So the light changes, and I instantly hop off, and I cross the intersection. And as I hop on to the grass, oh wait, did I remind you that my shoes are a half a size too, too big? <laughs> In that instant, I was trying to decide whether to walk on the grass along the actual road or go down into Walgreens onto the pavement. A nasty little piece of grass grabbed my shoe, and I tripped and went bang right down, like flat out. You would have thought that the floor was lava because I hopped up so fast, and I did this and I ran down into the parking lot because there's all these like bushes that could hide me because I'm pretty sure that everyone in that whole intersection was laughing their butts off. And I realized in that moment, I stumble a lot. I stumble, I fall, both physically and, and spiritually. And while I recover quickly, it's always humiliating. Today's message is called Stumbling into the Kingdom. It's part two of our Covenant and Kingdom series. The themes of covenant and kingdom are like DNA that run throughout the story of God and his people. Every story has covenant and kingdom in it. Covenant is about God's invitation into relationship, and kingdom is about God's rule and reign and our responsibility in that. So would you please stand with me as we read from the Gospel of Matthew, we're starting in chapter four. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. 
They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and, brought, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Father, we come to you today um, expecting uh, your message to impact our lives, expecting your word and your presence to transform us, to see the world different, to encounter you. And so, God, we come before you with our hands open, our ears open, just expecting you to be present. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to do a quick covenant recap, because if you weren't here last week, you may feel a little bit lost, but I'll, I'll try to catch you up. So one of the first covenants, covenants means a promise, one of the first covenants God made was with a man named Abraham. It was a promise. It was a promise that God would make a new family with him, and that new family was called into making a new kingdom. And you'll see that throughout all of the Old Testament. It's God calling new people into his new kingdom to make his new kingdom, story after story after story in the Old Testament. But then God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to make a new covenant, an everlasting promise that continues to this day to invite people, new people, into God's family to join him in his mission. Through this covenant in Jesus, we have been giving a new identity as sons and daughters of God. People who, as the um, disciple Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as we discovered last week, we are all spiritual billionaires. Show of hands, how many of you this week who committed to spend some of your billions spent some of those billions? Show of hands. If you're online, just you can put a thumbs up as well, right? Well, if you spent some, great, great job. Okay, so now... You all remember the game Simon Says, right? Simon Says, touch your head. Simon Says, touch your nose. Simon Says, touch your knees. Touch your hips. No, you're out, right? If you don't actually listen, Simon Says is what you do, and when you don't say Simon Says, and you react, you're out. Well, I think it's, it's when you hear Simon Says and you do it, it feels good. When you don't and you do it, you stumble or, or you miss it and you stumble and you feel like, what's going on? 
Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In our scripture today, Jesus is Simon saying. He's Simon saying to these new disciples as he walks by, to this new group of people, to follow him into something he's calling the kingdom of heaven. Now, different gospels use kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, so um, it's the same thing. In the Greek, the word follow is emphasized or defined here by the word come. So it's come behind, come after, come after me and follow, right? It's called a hortatory statement. It's a strong command or invitation, and it comes with three essential elements. There's a situation, there's a change, and then there's the motivation. So here's the situation. There's some brothers. They're working in their family business as fishermen. But it seems in this instance, they were really minding their own business as this man walked by and strongly invited them into his business. Now, usually it's the other way around. If you were a young Jewish man, you'd go look for a rabbi and ask if you could follow. Jesus was actually looking for young people, young men in this case, to follow him. So there's a situation. Now, there's a change that happened in this moment. Jesus is actually changing them and changing their profession. He's calling them into a new profession from fishermen to fishers of people. And so there's also this motivation. And you may be easy, like, oh, I know the motivation because it said it right away, right? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. But that's not quite the motivation. We find the motivation a little bit later when Jesus emphasizes this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That was the motivation. Not repent because the kingdom is near, but the good news and healing of the kingdom. Jesus called his disciples into relationship with him and gave them responsibility, a calling into kingdom work or God's mission, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing. And immediately, immediately, they left their boat and they followed him. Now, talk about a huge disruption in their lives. I mean, this is like leaving your profession, leaving your identity as fishermen, who, where they were sort of building their own families, building their own kingdoms, like making sure that they were taking care of, minding their own business, doing their own thing, to follow a man who claimed that he was going to build God's kingdom. It was like Jesus was seeing God's mission, the mission of establishing and building the kingdom as number one priority. And it was not that they did, he didn't care about their jobs or who they were or what they were doing, but it all seemed to pale in comparison to building God's kingdom. Someone once said it like this, it's no longer a question of taking fish from the lake, but of drawing men up out of the abyss of sin and death, catching them, in the great net of God. Now, the call of discipleship is clearly meant to separate the kind of life that they were living before 
But it didn't mean that they had to sell everything and leave it all behind and cut their family ties. Jesus was just inviting them into a relationship with him so that they could see how their identities were being transformed from this profession and how it was going to be used to a new calling and how they would be used. A new purpose, a new direction of who they were. So the big question for us, though, is, was this just meant for the early disciples? Did Jesus do it just for that point in time? Or does this hortatory invitation pertain to us today? So let's hear the call of Jesus again. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, it seems if we take Jesus at his word and jump into the story ourselves, God's building of his kingdom as number one priority is for us too. Covenant comes with kingdom. Relationship comes with responsibility. Jesus only ever did what he saw his father doing. And so we, if we are truly following, come after, come right behind, then we begin to do what Jesus is doing. It's as though Jesus is saying, look, you've seen me push out the kingdom. You've seen me represent my father. I've taught you to do everything I can, and I'm telling you, you'll do even greater things. Everything I have, you have full access to. Now go get them. Follow means to be right behind. Lots of times we think follow means, well, I'll wake three blocks down the road, or I'll sort of sit in a cafe watching as it goes by. But follow means, like Simon says, right behind. We've been invited into this intimate relationship between God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we've been invited into what they're already doing. They are already in the business of redeeming and rescuing this world in order to make new creation, right? To recreate the kingdom of God. Now, if you have no mission statement for your life, this is an amazing mission statement. We talk about mission statements for our jobs and for our churches and for our lives, and lots of times we have to figure out the vision of what we're doing in our own context. But as a mission statement, to think about following Jesus like that is incredible. So here's our situation. We're all busy doing things, right? We are all busy building our own little kingdoms. Like, it's important to have a career. It's important to have a profession. It's, in, it's important to raise family. It's important to provide. It, it's important to make sure your finances are okay. It's, it, it's important to be living life in general. But it seems that God also wants to interrupt us. He wants to disrupt us in that because we make that our number one priority. Just like the disruption Jesus calling Peter and Andrew and James and John. We sort of don't respond like them, though. Like, to jump out of our boat and say, we're going to follow, feels like a huge disruption, right? But if you haven't noticed, we're sort of living in a world of disruptions. From COVID 
to the Ukraine, every single day is a disruption. So we do have a choice. Do we want to be disrupted by Jesus into a calling into greater things with him at our side? Or just do we want to just go through disruptions and constantly be reacting? So that's our situation. Now, I think the disruption brings about a change. Are you ready for a new profession? Now, don't quit your day job. Don't quit what you're doing, right? I really believe that God has given us the ability to be able to provide for ourselves, to build you know, our families, to build networks and neighborhoods and that sort of, like what we do is important to God. But our number one priority is to see what we do in light of the kingdom of God. Following Jesus means our number one priority is the kingdom of heaven. And so what we do somehow impacts that work. So what's our motivation? Well, ultimately, our motivation is good news and healing. How many of you right now know people that need the new good news of Jesus? Right? How many of you know, now know somebody who needs healing? Right? Physical healing, spiritual healing, mental healing. This is a hard word, word because changing our priorities, seeking God's kingdom first, rearranges our lives. It rearranges the way we approach life and what it really means to follow. And I have to tell you, we're probably going to stumble. We're probably going to stumble and fall. But you are not alone in this. I want to show you something. Uh, here's some statistics. Um, on the screen, there it is. On the screen, a survey was just recently done, and you can see their circles, uh, they're basically telling you percentages. Um, the darker is like highly agree, the other one is still agree, but those are percentages. So uh, across generations, it seems to, we all agree that part of faith means being a witness about Jesus. And so that's like 96 percent almost across every generation that, that sharing Jesus is, 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 you know, part of being a witness is our part of our faith, right? And then you go down and it says that they know how to respond when someone asks about Jesus. So it's, it's, we really agree that faith should mean something, that we really agree that Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to somebody. And we also somewhat pretty highly agree that when someone asks us about our faith, we know how to respond, okay? Great news, fantastic news. Now, next slide. But it changes when asked, am I gifted at sharing the gospel? It drops dramatically. Am I equipped to share my faith? And then, uh, then the next one is, is it wrong to share one's beliefs if someone is a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith? Now, there's a, a larger disparity between that and the generations. And the last one is, millennials are much more scared of offending and being judged than later generations. So there's a, if we all believe up here, right, do you see the, dis the difference between responding and sharing? Responding generationally, we're, we're pretty good at saying, yep, faith, sharing our faith is something we should be doing. And if somebody asks me, 
Sure, not a problem. But when there's an expectation to share, meaning making the first move, sharing Jesus, we seem to stumble. So how many of you guys would agree with that? Would you agree that that's, that's true? If someone to, you, um, were to ask you about your faith, you'd probably feel somewhat confident to share. You could share what you do, right? But if I asked you to make your number one priority at work, at home, in your neighborhood, in your networks, in your friend group, and even to strangers to share the gospel, you'd feel way, way less confident. It's normal. It's very normal. Some years ago, I went with my daughter on a work trip to London, and uh, she had to go visit some schools, so I went with her. And while I was over there and she was doing some work, um, I decided to go visit some friends in Warrington, which is between Liverpool and Manchester in the UK. And um, they are actually pastors at a church. I had met them on another trip I had gone to in Israel. And I said, hey, I'm coming over. Can I come and see what you're doing? And they said, sure, this would be great. And I wanted to see because they actually are really good disciple makers and they share the gospel. It's, it's just sort of in their nature to do this. So I said, I'll just go and watch, see what you're doing. So they sent me to this man named Steve, and I met Steve at a lunch in a cafe. And he sat us down, and there was, there was a couple of us, maybe three or four of us, and he says, I do this every Tuesday and Thursday. Anyone who wants to learn how to share the gospel can come and sit and eat lunch with me. And I thought, well, this is, this is perfect. Like, I get to watch them do this. And he said, you know, I picked this cafe because I became friends with this man. He's Muslim. And he said, sure, you can meet in my cafe, not a problem. And, uh, you know, it was a safe place, and that was great. So as I met him, he said, okay, so what we're going to do, and I'm like, wait, what we are going to do? No, what you're going to do. My heart sank. I was like, yeah, I'm here just to watch and learn. <laughs> but like, like Jesus, Steve, Steve said, Simon says, let's go, right? He said, go out and begin to pray and see who's God going to direct you to. So he partnered up with me up with another woman, and we went out. And we prayed, and we walked, and we prayed, and we walked, and we prayed. And we're like, we only have 30 minutes. We walked, and we prayed. And finally, we did find this woman who, um, actually a young mom with a toddler, and we engaged her in, in conversation. And it, it came out that she was very, very nervous because she was moving to Australia the next day and worried that her toddler was not going to make this long flight. So we started talking about like what we did with our kids and crayons and that sort of thing, right? And then we said, could we pray for you? And she looked at like, what, what, a what? And I'm like, don't worry, we're not going to make a spectacle. No one's even going to know, right? We'll, we'll just pray for you. She goes, okay. So we did. She thanked us. Did I feel like I stumbled? Yeah. Did I do it well? No. Did I do it? Yeah. Right? We have been called to follow Jesus as his ambassadors, the actual of saving somebody is God's work. It's God's work, right? 
We are not responsible for how someone else responds. We are just supposed to do the things we see Jesus doing. So why do we stumble? Why do we hesitate? Why is this so hard for us? One word, fear. I think we're afraid of rejection, of breaking the connections with people. I think we're afraid that we're gonna look stupid or weird. I think we have fear that we won't use the right words. And I think we have fear that they won't come to our church or they don't have all their belief ducks in a row first. But when we are worried about offending people or being offended ourselves, we limit our vision of the kingdom. We limit our vision of God's mission in us and through us. So I think there's a couple of ways for what this mean, could mean for us uh, together as a church. First, would you agree that in most cases in your life, you've been putting your kingdom first? That's the easy thing, right? We're busy building families, busy our lives, investing in all the things that we do, trying to live our best life ever, right? That's sort of building our own kingdoms. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I believe that God has given you talents and abilities because the way you go out in the world, the way you impact your own family, the way you provide, all of those things have something to do with God's kingdom. It's all God's kingdom work. But when that becomes our main focus, I believe it's a detriment to God's kingdom. I believe it's a detriment to God's mission. I also believe if the only thing you focus is your own little kingdom, eventually it will get boring, stale, mundane, and you'll have to keep chasing more and more things to entertain yourself. And they don't have an eternal purpose. So would you agree that you're putting God's ki- your kingdom first before God's? And would you also agree that each of us has a purpose in this kingdom? Now, lots of times I hear people saying, oh, I need to find God's will for my life, right? But you and me, as God's children, God's sons and daughters, we have the royal, God's royal blood sort of cursing through our, our system. It's like in our veins, God's mission, God's, the Holy Spirit just works through us in order to do God's work. It's his authority and his power that allows us to engage with this. So what's God's will for your life? Easy. It's this. It's to do what Jesus is doing. So would you agree also that you need to just take that one step towards God this week? So as I was writing this sermon, there was a repairman in my house fixing our stove. And I went over and he was showing me something and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just writing a sermon. And he said, okay. And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, like church. I said, yeah. And I said, oh, do you go to church? No. But that's good. That, that's good that you do that. And I said, he said, I think I, I went, my mom brought me when I was little. I said, he said, but church, you know, I said, yeah, I get it, but God loves you, right? 
This is about our love for Jesus and getting into a relationship with Jesus. I'm not, I, you know, church is the thing that I do and it's, it's a way of, of equipping people together, but I'm more interested that you know that God loves you and wants something for your life more than maybe you're thinking. And he listened and, you know, did I stumble? Yep, again, stumbled a bit. Was I obedient? Yeah, I was obedient because I knew God was saying, you're writing this stupid sermon. You're going to get out and practice this. <laughs> right? Did I do it perfect? No. Did he respond? He took my card. I don't know. So what steps can you take this week, right? So first, this is the easiest one. If you hear nothing else this sermon, hear this one. Just fall in love with Jesus today. Just Fall in love with Jesus. Get into or get back into the Gospels. Read his stories. See what they look like. See him, meet him, be with him. And then do what you see him doing. Maybe it's a, it's a call to pray for somebody who needs healing. Maybe it's a call to comfort and care for somebody. Maybe it's an invitation when you see people who are left out Invite them in. Just fall in love with Jesus first. Second, seek the kingdom of God first. And the way you do this is you figure out where you have influence. Who are you connected to, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, your work? Where do you have influence where your word and your life and your, and your belief and your faith all have influence on people? These are open fields. They're sometimes completely barren fields. Nobody has gone and sowed the gospel there before. This is where you could be called to. And just give it a try. And third, be open to more training. Like, we need to learn how to do this well. And if you're interested in this, I am gonna tell you we are gonna do more classes. Give me your name. Tell me you're interested. Send me an email. Sign up for the class when we announce it. We need more experiences to be able to practice how to share the gospel with people. Is it okay to stumble and fall? Yes. It's really okay to stumble. It's okay to fall. It's okay to get back up and be completely embarrassed. But at least you're getting out and walking in faith.